You can have a seat. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the Capitol Church. If you're here for the first time, the first time in a while, or you're here pretty often, I want you to know that we're just thankful uh, that you're here. Uh, one of the things that just want to put before you is, uh, I, I honestly, I think I say this pretty often, but I think any Sunday that you show up at the Capitol Church, we think that's a, that's a good Sunday to be here. But uh, every time we start a new series or talk about specific things, I think that even to a greater degree. And so uh, if you're here for the first time, this is a great time to be here because we're, we're going to be starting a series of talks for the next several months, and, and all of that's going to start here this morning. Now, uh, to kind of put before you, I think it would be valid uh, to ask questions of like, why do we talk about what we talk about and how quickly we turn things over? Because if you've been coming to our church for a year and a half, one of the things that you would notice is uh, we do series of talks, and sometimes those series uh, are a few weeks, sometimes they're longer, sometimes we're talking about some particular things, sometimes we're in particular locations. Uh, I want you to know, as we kind of get started in a new series, why we do what we do and what drives us to talk about the things that we talk about. One of the things uh, that we honestly believe is true of this room is we have just about every Sunday, if not every Sunday, uh, people here for the very first time. We've got people uh, who come every single week. We've got people who would claim to be followers of Jesus. We've got people who would not claim to be followers of Jesus. We have some people who would say, man, all my chips are in on who Jesus is and what he has to say and what he's done. And there are some people who think pushing all the chips in on Jesus seems maybe irresponsible, uh, maybe like a bad move, and you might not be there. Here's what I want you to hear, is that we know this room has many different people who believe many different things, and so everything that we talk about here on a Sunday morning, and when we start a new series or talk about particular things, what is driving us is we think there's serious value on the pages of the Bible, regardless of who you are and how you walk in here. We honestly believe, as we start a new series, that in the pages of the book of Acts, which is where we're gonna spend uh, some considerable time through the spring, we actually believe whoever you are, there's value for you. We think not only in the value uh, in the life that you're living here and now, we actually think there's eternal value, as crazy as that might sound. And so what always drives us, the speed at which we move through series, the series that we're doing, the books we land in, uh, all of that is driven by what we think is true of this room and the dynamics that are at play in this room and ultimately what we think will bring you uh, and the people that you love the most value. So, so know that that's where we're going. Uh, the Book of Acts, a very uncreative title from us. That, that's where we're gonna be spending time. Um, so for the spring, the majority of the talks we give are gonna be grounded in the Book of Acts. Now, Acts is one of the longer books in your Bible and so for some of you, it might still feel like we're moving pretty quickly. I know as we start every series, that kind of hits different people in different ways. Some of you might be super pumped we're talking about something different. Uh, some of you might be pumped we're going into a particular book. Some of you don't care at all. Uh, and I just wanna say, hey, here's where we're going. Uh, if you have a Bible and bring a Bible or want one, you can just grab a free one out at the Connect table. You could definitely do that. Uh, Acts will be broken in a little bit if you're interested in following along throughout the spring. So if you have a Bible and are interested, uh, Acts chapter one is gonna be the best place for you to turn right now. Uh, if you don't have one and aren't very interested in turning there, 
uh, that's okay, because I'm going to be reading from there. And so uh, if you're interested in following along, uh, let, let me summarize some things. First of all, we honestly believe that Jesus has some really powerful things he wants to do in your life. And we think the pages of this book in particular have a lot of value for where you're at now and maybe even for eternity. And so Acts 1 is where we're gonna start off. Now, uh, I don't know what your college experience was like. Some of you are in the middle of that. Some of you haven't even gone to college and, and that's okay. For me, uh, I had four roommates over a three-year period stretch and there were uh, some major pros and cons to all of the roommates that I had. Uh, but one, I, still one of my closest friends to this day, Be because of my schedule um, with athletics and academics, it just, it, it made me not very social in around a bunch of people. But I had a roommate who's, honestly, he and his wife are very close friends of Shaylin and I today. Uh, still to this day, I would say probably the person who can make me laugh the hardest. One of the funniest guys I know. Uh, I, I was rooming with him for one semester and it felt like really hard extremes of pros and also really hard extremes of cons. I, I would best describe him as a gamer, and, and I mean that in two senses. One, uh, when we were roommates, he was top 100 in the world in Call of Duty. Um, and so if you're familiar with anything video games, which I've never been overly entertained by them, so I was not uh, somebody who was into video games, but at one point, I saw his play time, he, he went to play, and it's like, it counts up the amount of hours that you play a particular game, and then that, once you hit 24 hours, that turns into a day, and then once you have enough days of 24 hours of playing, you eventually will hit a month. Uh, my roommate had literal months worth of Call of Duty game time, and so one of the pros was, uh, I'm not very good at video games, I'm not super entertained by them, but watching him play Call of Duty was fascinating. Um, he was unbelievable at it, but one of the cons that came with that was often I would come back to the room after like a practice or a class, and there would be a crowd of people in our room just there to watch him play video games. There's times it's like, dude, I'm trying to like do some work, go to bed, and it's just a crowd in my room watching him play for hours on end. So definite gamer. Uh, he was also a gamer in the sense of uh, with well-timed words, and very creative words, you could kind of get him to do whatever you wanted him to do. Like he was always down for something if you just like used words pretty strategically. Uh, I mentioned that I spent a lot of time with him and his girlfriend. I was like third wheeling all the time. Shayla and I dated long distance, so it was like I had nobody else to hang out with but them. Uh, and so we would eat a lot of meals together, and there was a time he ate a full meal. He, he's a pretty big boy, even to this day. Uh, we, he ate a full meal, then he decided he wanted a Belgian waffle. So. He goes back up and gets a Belgian waffle, and, and as you know, those come from like an, a waffle iron. They come with like very defined four sections. And so he came back, and uh, kind of just for entertainment purposes, I was like, you know, I think they cut those into four, but I, I don't think it's actually realistic. Somebody could eat a Belgian waffle in four bites. He's like, you don't think I can eat this in four bites? And I was like, I, I love the confidence, but it's not, I don't think it's doable. I don't think anybody can do it. I don't think you can really do it. He's like, I can do that. I can eat in four bites. And so he cuts that baby into four quarters uh, and, and almost pretty effortlessly, he eats that thing in four bites. And so once he finishes, he says to himself, you know, I, I didn't really enjoy that waffle, so I'm gonna go get another one so that I can enjoy the waffle. So he comes back and I say, you know, 
As I watched you eat that in four bites, uh, it now makes sense that you can eat it in four bites. I do think, though, two bites is beyond your ability. And he says, you, you don't think I can eat this Belgian waffle in two bites? Immediately, his girlfriend is like, Josh, uh, there is no win to this. She, she's disappointed in me a little bit. She's a little bit more disappointed in him from getting stirred up. And I said, you know, I love the confidence. Two bites is beyond your ability. And he said, it's not. He cut that thing in half and shockingly ate it in, in two bites. So then I say, okay, here's what I know is impossible. I know it's impossible to eat a Belgian waffle in one bite. And he said, I'm gonna, that's where I'm drawing the line. And I'm like, okay, now we know you can't eat it in one bite. And he, he conceded that fact. He conceded the fact. As we start off in Acts, th this story has come to mind a few times because the history and birth of the book of Acts really comes from a conversation where one friend convinces another friend to do something that at first glance might seem like a, a total bad move, unwise, foolish, and would make other people at a first glance think they're, they're making bad decisions in life. The author of the book of Acts is a man named Luke who is a practicing medical doctor, highly intelligent, highly trained, highly gifted. He wrote two books of your Bible. The first one's the book of Luke. The second is the book of Acts. And behind all of this was his friend named Theophilus. And Theophilus convinces his buddy Luke to leave his medical practice and then fully funds Luke to get down on the ground, have conversations with the people that did life around Jesus and with Jesus so that he can write the historical account of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for humanity. That's what the book of Luke is about. Then he writes the book of Acts as more of a historical account of once Jesus is killed and then rises from the dead, what happens here? What happens from this point forward? There's a movement in followers of Jesus and in Christianity from the moment he's killed forward. Luke writes, Luke to talk about who Jesus is and what he's done and Acts kind of takes that story forward. We're gonna spend some time over the coming months walking through uh, parts of this book and we're gonna try and trace out this movement. And what I think is true is whether you believe the message of the movement is true or it's not true, what I don't think we can debate is the message of this particular movement changed millions of people's lives. Some would even argue changed the world. Regardless of what you believe about the message, I think we would agree upon that, Christian or not Christian. And it starts in a culture where the, the, the region and the people were highly religious. And so what's fascinating to me is that this is a movement where the leader dies and what's left is just a few scared and flimsy followers in a culture uh, where religion was highly valued and highly important and Christianity at the beginning was actually seen as anti-religion. It's not the religion added to the religious buffet for you to take it a new direction. The movement of Jesus and his followers was directly anti-religious and yet this is the soil by which this movement moves forward. Fascinating to me. A leader dies with few followers in a culture that would make anti-religion very difficult to last, and this is the soil by which the book of Acts starts. Now, one of the most powerful rooms in the world at the time, they got together 
uh, right after Jesus was killed, and they started to have a conversation about what do they do with really passionate followers of Jesus because they feel very passionate. They're, again, anti-religious. They've got this new thing that they believe in that they feel radical about and passionate about, and they're trying to stir things up in our city. And so these people in Jerusalem of the highest power, they sit down and they say, what do we do with these people? I wanna bring you into that room because this room happens in Acts chapter five. If you're interested, you could go there uh, and follow along. But I'm gonna read for us what happens in this room with a bunch of people who are not followers of Jesus who say, what do we do here with these people that claim to follow Jesus, claim he's done some wild stuff and are starting to stir up our cities? Oh, let me read Acts 5, starting in verse 34. Here's, here's what it says. A member of the high council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people. He stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside of the council chamber for a while. So here's our setting. A man who is not a follower of Jesus is in a really powerful room in the city of Jerusalem. Powerful city, the most powerful people are in that room. But there's also in there some followers of Jesus that are now seen as radical. And so he stands up and says, hey, all of the followers of Jesus, I want you to step out of the room for a little bit while we talk about what we're gonna do with you. This is our context. And what's interesting is this room of people, it's not even that they're not followers of Jesus. This room is largely responsible for killing Jesus. And he's addressing him, verse 35. Then he said to his colleagues, Men of Israel, take care what you're planning to do to these men. Like, think about what we're gonna do to these people who claim to follow Jesus. Verse 36, some time ago, there was, there was that fellow, Theudas, who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed. And all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too and all of his followers were scattered. So my advice is leave these men alone. If they claim to follow Jesus, my advice is like, don't worry about them. Let, let them go. If they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. What he's saying is this is not the first time that a crowd of people have been passionate about following an influential leader. This is not the first time. He could look back and say, no, no, remember this guy? Remember this other person? This is not the first time somebody claimed to be something that was impressive and convinced a bunch of people that they were also impressive and worthy to be followed. He says, well, we have examples of that. But he isn't done. He closes with his fascinating statement, verse 39. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourself fighting against God. Here's his argument. If Jesus is just a normal guy, then just let it play because everything's gonna die with him. If Jesus is a normal guy, like the influential and charismatic and passionate leaders that came before him, if he's just one of them, then we don't have to worry about the movement because the movement will slowly fizzle out and so will his followers. But if Jesus is who he says he is, then you're not gonna be able to stop this movement anyways. It doesn't make sense for us to start killing and torturing and just trying to beat people out of following Jesus because if he's not a big deal, it'll fizzle. But if he is who he said he is, then this engine that's propelling this movement is actually the power of God and we're not gonna be able to stop it anyways. 
This is his argument. And interestingly enough, they go from that, they beat these followers of Jesus, and they just send them back into the wild because they're like, this movement will slowly fade. It'll fizzle. So a leader who dies with few followers in a culture that would make anti-religion difficult to last. This is the soil by where we start Acts 1. Now, let me remind you just in the history of Luke's writings where we're at. He wrote an entire book on who Jesus is and what he's done, all the way through Jesus being killed and being raised to life. And then the book of Acts start with risen and well Jesus, but only for a moment. Jesus is only with his friends and followers for one last moment before he leaves them forever. This is where Acts 1 starts, and he says some interesting things to his closest friends and followers. So Acts 1 is really where we're going to be today. If you went to Acts 5, you can flip back to Acts 1. I want to start reading in verse 4 because Jesus is going to set the stage here for some really powerful things. Here's what he says. Once when Jesus was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. Verse five, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, Jesus is saying a couple things before he leaves them. What he's saying is, I'm gonna leave, and that might seem like bad news because you've come to believe me and trust who I am. And he's saying, I'm actually gonna leave. And what's crazy is he's saying something better is actually gonna come. And he says, the Holy Spirit is gonna come. I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit's coming. That should feel like good news. Now, what I know to be true is that maybe the most confusing or mystical parts of Christianity for you, it might be the Holy Spirit. For you, the Holy Spirit might come with far more questions and confusion uh, than it does answers and confidence. And so what, what I want to say for you is, uh, instead of getting into the weeds, we're, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in time and answer a lot of questions in time. But I, I don't want us to miss maybe the confusion that comes with the Holy Spirit to understand what Jesus is saying just right here. What Jesus is saying right here is that the Holy Spirit is coming, I'm leaving, that's going to be really important. And so skip to verse 8 because this is huge. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is going to clarify what happens from here. What happens from here? How does this move forward? What do we do now? This is what he's attempting to do. He's saying the Holy Spirit in particular will be the engine by which the message of Jesus and what he's done for humanity goes out into the world. Jesus says that th this movement, it's gonna travel through normal, largely unimpressive and broken people. It's just gonna travel in here in the capital city of Jerusalem and then slowly it's gonna get out a little bit into Judea and Samaria and ultimately this movement is gonna go to the ends of the earth and what he says is very important for his followers is one, you're not the power, you're not all that important, but there is divine power that is the engine to this movement now called Christianity which is anti-religion. There's a power that's gonna be pushing this forward that's not reliant on how awesome you are and how gifted and talented. In fact, it's gonna now transform the lives of very average normal people, but the engine driving everything is now the power of God. 
He's saying there's a mission and a movement that's about to take the world by storm, who Jesus is and what he's done, and it cannot be stopped because it is divine power that's pushing that forward. This is revolutionary. This is major words of Jesus that's changing the landscape, even of the known world at the time. Now, it helps us, I think, in 2023 to be able to look back on what Jesus says about the mission and the movement of Christianity, but I also think it helps us now to be able to look back at what history tells us about this movement. Because now we can fast forward like 2,000 years, be able to kind of sit in on that conversation of Jesus and his closest friends and followers, and now we've got 2,000 years of history to see what actually happened from there. Because what started to transform the capital city of Jerusalem is this new message that humanity has a major problem. In fact, all the major religions would assent to the fact that there's something about humanity that's off, and so we better figure out some type of system, maybe even some practices that would get humanity into a better position before whatever God you believe is true. All major religions are trying to solve this problem. Like, what do we do as humanity? Like, we, we fall short of some type of standard. For most of us in the room, we could even assent to, we fall short of our own standards. And there is a holy God, there is a righteous and just God, and this message that starts to transform this city is that instead of God stepping into messy humanity and just punishing and unleashing wrath, which would be just, instead of him stepping into that situation, Jesus steps into that situation. He meets a standard that humanity could never meet and just says, hey, I'll be punished. I'll take the wrath because I actually met the standard, but I'm gonna transfer that to you as a broken person. I'll be crushed so you can walk away and live. This particular message is so anti-religion and it's so counter-cultural that, that they're just trying to kill people who are spreading this. It was never low cost to claim you were a follower of Jesus. It certainly was not low cost here in the first century, to follow him passionately. But it's this message that's propelling the movement of Christianity. Lives are being transformed by the thousands here at the beginning because it can't be stopped. The leader dies with few followers in a particular culture that would make anti-religion very difficult to last, and yet this is the soil by which Christianity starts to flourish and grow because it's a new message. It's a new message that you don't have to perform. It's a new message that you don't have to clean up and be better. You don't have to project and present yourself a certain way. You don't need to make deals or work hard to impress God because here steps Jesus. And just let, let me take your sin. Let God crush me for your mistakes. This is the message in the hands of normal broken people that changes the world because this is the message that uniquely has the power of God and you can't stop it. You couldn't stop it in the first century and hear me on this, you can't stop it today. What's fascinating for me is to look back at this time period to see like what's actually going on in the world in this time period. It's fascinating because uh, one of the most infamous leaders in this part of the world at this particular time is a man named Nero. He became in, in power, emperor of Rome in AD 54. He hated this movement of Christians. He hated the movement of this new message about who Jesus is and what he can do for you. 
He hated it, that, that there's actually a lot of record of him doing things, like he would take followers of Jesus, he would sew them up into animal skins, and then he'd throw them into pits with hungry dogs just so they could be eaten alive to the, for people to spectate that. He's also known for taking people who claim to be followers of Jesus, he would dip them in wax, he would hang them up in his garden at night, and then he'd light them on fire to light up the garden for his garden parties. He crucified followers of Jesus by the tens of thousands. And yet, this is the soil from the earliest days of people who claimed to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to say, this message has transformed me, and it can transform you. Honestly, I don't think Nero, in his mind, actually thought he could kill or torture every follower of Jesus, but he did have these tactics of like, hey, here's what it costs to follow him. Let me make really public statements where you could come to public squares and watch people who claim to follow Jesus by the tens of thousands crucified, taking several days to die, agonizing, excruciating deaths to say this is the cost of following Jesus. What's fascinating to me is to look back on that and to say it was never low cost to claim you believed that Jesus can cancel your sin, extend forgiveness to you. It, it was never low cost, and it was never low cost to follow him passionately. And yet we can look back even in the soil by which Christianity starts to accelerate and gain momentum. We can look back on that and say, man, what Jesus says in Acts chapter one starts to come into clarity. You can't stop it because it's the Holy Spirit. It's the power of God that's driving this forward. You can't torture it out of people. You can't murder people to stop it. You can't even put them in jail. They've tried all of this, and yet the movement only historically gains momentum and starts to grow. It was never low cost to claim to follow Jesus. It was never low cost to follow him passionately. I actually think historically, probably in 2023 in the United States, might be the lowest cost to actually claim to follow Jesus and to follow him passionately. Probably right now, you have to give up less than historically has ever needed to be given up. Probably right now, your social consequences are far less than they have ever historically been. Despite the efforts from the earliest days to 2023 to stop the movement of Jesus and his followers, it just can't be stopped. And Jesus tells us why. It can't be stopped because it's the power of God driving this movement forward. And, and as we look through this book in the coming weeks and months. You're gonna see followers of Jesus thrown in prison. That's not gonna stop it. You're gonna see followers of Jesus tortured and ultimately murdered, and that's not gonna stop it. In fact, you're not only gonna see that it doesn't stop it, it's actually accelerating it and gaining momentum. Because these empires, world powers, world leaders, fear tactics, they're just no match for the power of God in this particular message in the hands of very ordinary people in the hands of people who've made great mistakes, who feel a ton of shame, who maybe even today feel a ton of guilt, very average people with this powerful message in divine power of God in the movement, they cannot be stopped. No movement of empires and world leaders and people of high positions. What Jesus says from the early days is, there is a follower, there, there is a leader who's gonna die, 
There are going to be some followers that are pretty unimpressive in a particular culture that makes anti-religion difficult to last, and yet this movement will not stop. It will continue to move forward. Now, every time I, I look at this, I, this part of the Bible, I, I'm, I'm reminded even of why we named this church what we named it. In fact, it was this particular part of your Bible that drove us to name this church the Capital Church. It's from this movement powered by the Holy Spirit that started in the capital city of Jerusalem and actually spread to the edges of the world. I mean, you think about where we're at today. 2,000 years later, in Columbus, Ohio, talking about who Jesus is and what he's done, celebrating who Jesus is and what he's done. 2,000 years removed from the main leader dying in a completely different part of the world. Columbus is 6,112 miles in a straight line from Jerusalem. Uh, we're a long way away. We speak a completely different language. We look, especially me, I've been to Jerusalem. Uh, nobody confused me for a local. Uh, a lot of us, we look a lot different. Our cultural makeup is wildly different. We named this church the Capital Church because we're asking God to do the same thing here that he did 2,000 years ago. The message of Jesus radically transformed people quickly. And it spread from Jerusalem, the capital city, to the ends of the earth. This conversation is an example of that. This is the ends of the earth from Jerusalem. Our ambition and our mission is to see God use that same message to transform Columbus, our capital city. And we also want to see it from here go to the edges of the world. We want to see it get to places a long way from here, in places that speak different languages than us, in places where they look different from us and have very different cultures. Our mission here as a church is to see this movement, powered by God, transform our city and then not stop here in our city, but continue to move to the edges of the world because we think it's this message that actually radically transforms lives. And the beauty, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, is not only have you been transformed by that message, not only do you stand in, in a pretty impressive place in the throne room of God, regardless of your past, not only is that true of you, but the invitation is you can actually put your fingerprints on the movement of God and it's not dependent upon how awesome you are. It's not dependent upon how clean you are. It's not dependent on the gifts that you have. You can actually put your fingerprints on the movement of God because he's awesome and it's his power that's driving this message further into our world and into our neighborhoods, and into our workplaces. The invitation of Jesus, right as he leaves his closest friends and followers forever, is there is a message that is going to transform city after city after city, and it's gonna move continent to continent, and it cannot be stopped. The invitation of Jesus is, do you want in on that? Do you want in on the grace that you could never earn? Do you want in on forgiveness and even righteousness applied to your account because of Jesus based upon nothing you've done? Like the invitation is that's there for you. You can have that. And the other invitation is if you're a follower of Jesus, how crazy is it and how incredible is it that the power of God is gonna drive this forward that you could just say yes to joining in on. It's like it's not even for you. 
It's not even because of you. The power of the spirit is gonna move this forward that you could just say yes and be messy and be broken and be stumbling your way forward and not being good at things and not being the social elite and yet God can still use you because it's not about you, it's about his power. He's driving it. The invitation is pretty incredible at the beginning of Acts. Here's the message. You can have that. And then you can actually join it getting to the edges of the earth. This is pretty special. And so that invitation of Jesus here in the beginning is the same invitation that, that I think you're gonna get pretty often here. You're gonna get the invitation of, hey, you wanna follow Jesus? That's here for you. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you wanna say, I don't know what I'm good at, I don't even know, maybe my story is not clean enough, I'm a little bit too broken, and you just wanna say, it sounds pretty awesome that I can put my fingerprints on the movement of God based upon his power and his direction. I just kinda wanna like slide onto that team, even if I'm sitting on the bench. It's like, yeah, that invitation is available to you as well. It's pretty incredible what God invites us into in a relationship with Jesus and then the invitation to join him in the mission to the ends of the earth. When I see or read the name of our church, I'm reminded of this, that our ambition and our mission is to see this particular message that's anti-religion. It's not about what you can do, but what's been done. It's that this message, we wanna see this transform Columbus because we think this is the best thing for Columbus. But man, our ambition is to see this thing go far beyond Columbus to the ends of the earth with people very different from us speaking a whole lot of different languages in much different cultures. That's our ambition. And the invitation to you to join that or to join as a follower of Jesus, it's always available. Let me, let me pray for us and ask God to do, do some powerful things through the power of his spirit, even, even here this morning. Father, it is, it is crazy for me to think about who I am and my story and what's true of me and yet still look at and reflect on the invitation that you've given me to walk in freedom and walk in forgiveness and walk in grace and mercy. I just never want to become callous to that invitation. And, and I'm amazed that not only you would be gracious enough to extend that invitation, but you'd be gracious enough to even extend an invitation that I could play a role in this movement, that, that I could play a role in this message getting to the ends of the earth. I ask that you use, as you use this church for your purposes. I ask that we be and become exactly who you want us to be, that under the power of the Spirit and under your divine power, that you would do things in our city, in the, in the places that we love, in the lives of people that we love, and that you'd use us to empty the tank to see this go forward, to join in your mission that has been the mission from day one in the earliest pages of the church. We thank you for how gracious you are at every level, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.